0: I suppose the the big ticket item I'm seeing is just you know as an architect we draw all our details um, in timber so um, and as a waste stream on site for us the tantalized timber is unacceptable but anywhere but a landfill because of its arsenic um, component so the metal stud um, that we're finding and obviously some buildings we're demolishing is just so efficient because it allows us to recycle that waste stream whereas we can't of its timber.
1: Kia ora. I'm Troy, here as CEO, and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today I'm talking to Eldon Reeve and Hilary West-Reeve a duo who are co-owners of Phoenix Metal Recyclers and middleman, and are committed to advocating and contributing to the reduction of waste to landfill. Firstly, what attracted you to the business, and what excites you about it?
2: I guess I I got started fifteen years ago um, in the business in, in quite a small scale. Um, what What excited me about it, and what interests me? They're good questions. Um, I really love getting up every day and coming to work. the The very nature of what we do is really interesting. One day we could be uh, deconstructing part of a power station. Um, the next day we could be, um, you know, doing a farm cleanup in the Waikato or the Far North. Um, but we've, I guess, the staff as well is a, is a big passion for me. We've got a lot of great people, um, and seeing those people in the business grow up. Um, it's a it's a really interesting business you know we've got a, a large collection business with lots of um, trucks and bins uh, we we get customers to drop off to us um, but we also are a commodity trader as well so we're dealing with um, overseas commodity prices we're dealing with um, foreign exchange and a very much an international connection and flavor so it's really a business that's got a lot a lot of parts to it. Um, and and a huge number of customers, so it's it's really it, it sort of my passion for it grows every every year that I'm, I'm I'm involved.
1: So you mentioned there that you're actually involved in disassembly of some items of infrastructure. Um, how does the work fit within the circular economy?
2: Right. Okay. So the the demolition section of our business, I guess, or deconstruction. Um, that was born out of the recycling we did with our customers. So we'd be on a site and we may be taking offtake of steel or or non-ferrous products, um, and they'd give us a tap on the shoulder and say, look, we've got this um, metal structure. It could be a milk-drying plant made out of stainless steel or um, part of an industrial processing plant. Could you deconstruct it for us or demolish it for us? um because they knew we were dealing with the metallics and we could normally do that quite cost effectively because we had a route direct to market um, or direct to export so so we started in that area um and as as that work grew we took more on and then i guess we started to make a little name for ourselves and and we got tapped on the shoulder by other people that had buildings not just metallics that needed deconstruction. Um, So it fed really well into, I guess, into the circular economy that we're already involved with in the recycling side of the business, that a lot of the products we were pulling out at the start were metallic, so they fed back into our, um, I guess, the engine room of our business, uh, which was collection and um, preparing for export. Uh, And then because we had quite a bit of knowledge and really some specialist skills and grading, Um, separation, et cetera, of the metallics, taking in other streams for recycling was quite simple for us because if we had concrete, it needed to be a certain grade, broken up to a certain size to be able to be recycled um, or any any other of a number of products. So it was quite a natural shift for us to move into um, deconstruction and fits well within the circular economy that we're already involved in.
1: Have you got
0: something to add there, Hilary? Yeah, I do. I think just to elaborate on the circular economy, certainly because we've been in the demolition space and because we are specialists in, in, in metals, we've seen the way that we have to process and account for those grades in terms of how we meet those international standards on the commodities market. We've got an accuracy around how we manage those essentially those waste streams. So we've found a really positive um, receipt really in the market from others seeing how accurate we are. So we're able to um, essentially um, front up with what's being recycled and how it's being recycled. And so people are now getting to understand where those waste streams are going. They're not just sort of disappearing into this vortex of um, someone else is taking care of it. We can actually talk about those recycling partners we're working with, how much of it's going there, what those waste streams are being remade into. Um, We've got some really good relationships with um, glass and concrete recyclers, as Eldon mentioned, and that's certainly um, enabling us to connect the dots for our customers and clients around that circular economy that it's not just ending up in landfill. I mean, that's that's the promotion of it all, really, is that we find a, another reuse or another destination for these um, essentially waste streams that can be reused. And and we're facilitating that with what we do in the demolition space. And it's been a really good uh, add-on with what we do in the specialist metal space as well.
1: Hera uh, um, recently undertook a research study that investigated the... Um volumes and proportion of steel scrap being recycled from New Zealand and we found that 72 percent of scrap steel is being recycled and it's likely to be more in the vicinity of 85 percent for construction related steel. What is the role that metal recycling plays in the bigger picture Um, because obviously there's a carbon benefit from the recycling but what else is that contributing to in terms of intergenerational well-being?
0: The I suppose what, what it what we're what we're doing with our business and I suppose with the clients and the customers we deal with is everyone we've got thousands of customers that show up across our branches in New Zealand just wanting to recycle. So it's uh, it's just please just take our product. We know you're going to we trust you to recycle it and it's got another part in the journey once we receive it. So it's that um I suppose that intergenerational promotion of doing the right thing for New Zealand's environment, that we create the sustainable world in New Zealand um, with values together um, across generations. I know when I was a child um, we recycled a lot more. It seemed like we were always collecting the glass bottles and the tops and the, I just remember it much more as a child. We seem to have lost a little bit of that I suppose, what, laziness is the wrong word, but with the the red and um, blue bin at the end of our gate, we've sort of um, sort of resigned ourselves to maybe that's all we can do, and I suppose uh, a h- huge part of the ethos of of what we do in the metal recycling industry is try and make it easier for everyone to recycle those really hard items, and I think that's we'd love to make a difference, is to make those services easier for everyone to uh, access so that we get that generational change, we get that positive uptake of more recycling, that we get more Kiwis recycling from their backyards, from their businesses, uh, from anything they're approaching. And I suppose look at the way ultimately long-term, and this is where probably Hera comes in as we start to innovate new products. How Are we looking at how those products can be deconstructed at the end of use? Are they recyclable? Can they be reused? So you get that circular economy coming through the whole life cycle of anything, certainly in the metallic space anyway. Yeah,
1: it's interesting you um, mentioned the recycling rates and that study that we did, we showed that at that 72% level of recycling, the carbon benefit is around 1,050 kilograms of carbon equivalent. If you boost that up to closer towards a hundred percent recycling rate, it increases to around fifteen hundred kilograms carbon equivalent because of that reduction of landfill. What is it that we can actually do to help recycling occur more frequently? What What are those obstacles and roadblocks that we need to overcome?
2: I think um, I think people are getting uh, are getting more educated and and. Just understanding where where they can take the products, and I guess we're talking from more from a consumer's point of view. Um, I think um, I think that part of the market is growing, and people are doing a lot more. Whereas I, I was interested to hear your number of seventy two, because I actually felt that, given what we understand, was maybe a little bit light. Um, that maybe it was it was more in the in the eighties, um, because. From what we take into our business um we had a number of uh ninety nine point nine eight seven percent of what we receive we recycle so we've we're at the obviously at, at the very end of the spectrum um but yeah, look a little bit surprised to hear that that number wasn't bigger in general for steel recycling in New Zealand and probably a little bit disappointed. Uh, I guess what we're doing is is we're doing we're trying to do the education piece through some of our um advertising and marketing and doing podcasts like this um, making ourselves more accessible making sure we've got the right sites and the right places to allow people to access us easily. It's very geographic um the recycling of metals people typically don't want to take them too far um or or you know there's there's, there's ancillary equipment trailers or truck or, or van or whatever to to recycle some of the bigger items so being really accessible for people is is important and that's you know, we've got nine sites now and we're we're looking to grow that further. Um, so that's really important for us is to be accessible to as many people as we possibly can.
1: Can you talk us through the actual process that you go through um, of recycling this metal scrap or even right yeah. from demolition even?
2: Yeah, certainly. So if we we take it from a demolition site, um, what we do is we will have a demolition plan um, and within that will be a waste plan. Um, So it's not just taking the building down, but it's how do we take it down and we keep all of our products as separate as possible um, so they're well well sorted um, and cut to a certain size that allows us to maximise the transport on the road. What we don't want to be doing is sending trucks out with bins that are half full. Um, One, it's a a waste of money for us, but also, you know, we're we're burning diesel and and other things, so we may as well be making the most of it. So it's about maximising efficiency on site, deconstructing it in the right way, making sure we've got efficiency in transport, then it comes into our yard. Um, And from there, we will do further processing and further grading to ensure that we meet the international specifications for export. Um, And some of that may mean... um, putting it through a process of, of making it smaller, and typically we do that through a, a, a shear um, or some type of cutting procedure. Or if it's a light product, then we might put it through a baler and then we'll bale it into very dense, um, high density bales for loading into containers. Um, so yeah, there's a bit of um, a bit of extra work that comes in, in our yards and, and a lot of expertise around the grading and, and, um, and processing of those products. Uh, from there, we, we will have international contracts for sale um, and, uh, and then you know, we load our containers and, and ship them um, as, um, as, as quickly as we can.
1: So in terms of like the stewardship there, um, do you know where the steel goes for processing offshore and, and if there are any environmental issues associated with that processing being offshore?
2: So yeah, we, look, we need to be honest um, with ourselves about that. We are um, we're sending our product really quite widely through Asia. Um, we have a lot of a lot of people that we've dealt with for a long time. Um, so a lot of very good customers that we work with. Um, and what we're starting to do now is we're actually going down that path of understanding what are their processes and procedures on the other end. Um, because it's becoming more important to all of us that we, that we follow that stewardship all the way through. Um, some of the practices in Asia are probably not up to the level that we'd like them to be. So um, what we do know is that by exporting, say, our steel um, and it going to an electric arc furnace for reprocessing, we know that there's some substantial um, savings as far as energy and, um, and emissions. Um, versus the other process of making steel via a blast furnace and, and iron ore, maybe Hills, you could talk to some of those um, some of those stats around um, around the benefits of, of recycling scrap rather than taking it from a, a raw material.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we 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 have to go on obviously the statistics that are, are widely published through the likes of BMRA and Isri overseas uh, that we. We're all contributing to this uh, global engine, if you like, of um, preventing more raw material essentially being extracted from from our earth, which is obviously the iron ore and the steel making process. So, so those organisations, uh, you know, is we all know that metals obviously 100% recyclable, but the recycling of metals, um, we're told, uh, emitting 80% less CO2 in terms of metal production being done out of raw material. So if we capture the metal recycling scrap into that, well, we're going to save that much CO2 just by doing it this way. And we're told recycling one tonne of steel can save one and a half tonnes of iron ore. So again, it's it's becoming in a very efficient way of using that Um that waste stream is a circular economy component to the world, and recycling steel uses 70% less energy than mining and refining that virgin iron ore. So I think, from what studies have been done out of America and out of Europe, that you know, obviously over time, over years now, that there is a contribution that this this metal recycling economy, if you like, is valid, and it's it steps to working towards uh, a lower carbon emissions industry, um, certainly there's a lot of innovations, um, you know, if you read a lot of recycling today and other other media, there's a lot of work being done to uh, work better with the electric arc furnace, how its uh, renewable energy sources are managed, and obviously getting into hydrogen and other spaces we're not obviously... Up to uh, speed on, but there uh, there is a, a constant evolving, I suppose, in our space working in the metal recycling industry that um, we're fascinated by, and certainly i um, proud to be connected to contributing that waste stream for for that space.
1: What are some of the challenges facing the industry, particularly in Aotearoa?
2: That's a that's a really good question. Um, it's it's what what do you put at number one, and I, maybe I'll. I'll put the environment um as number one the, you know the runoff of um of our recycling products for recycling um as far as metal or or um uh, i guess steel uh, copper aluminium etc the runoff from those items getting into our waterways is um is serious and it's something that we really we as a business uh have been looking at we're we're in a, a zone where we're compliant but if we look 10 or 20 years ahead no, nobody's going to be compliant because the rules are starting to change um and, and the standards that we're setting for ourselves are, are becoming higher and higher so we as a company are going to undertake um, we're just at the start of it now undertaking a, an assessment of all of our sites um, while they're compliant now what can we do to make them 20 or 30 years um, compliant down the track. How do we get? How do we lead the industry? And that's really a goal that Hillary and I have set ourselves. So that's one of the big challenges. There are a lot of people in New Zealand still that operate on bare earth and are prepared to dump their metals on bare earth, and that is, you know, it's just it's completely unacceptable because the runoff. We all know the runoff um, is a contaminator. So, so those sorts of practices, um, that's a big challenge, and it's changing people's mindsets. Um, A really interesting one that's come out for us um, as we look to, we're going through Toy2 carbon reduce at the moment. We're at the start of that journey as well. Um, So we're looking to electrify a lot of our material handlers in our sites. Um, What we're finding is that we don't have the power supply uh, to enable us to run those and some of the other equipment that we've got on site. Some of the bills to get the right amount of power on site are fairly fairly high. Um, at one site, it's um, it's over half a million dollars to get the correct amount of power supply in the gate. So, you know, when you've got nine sites um, and not all of them will need will need upgrading, but some of them will. It's there's some significant hurdles there, but um, that's something that we're going to. It's a challenge that we've, we've got to take head on, and we've got to get to a point where we electrify most or all of our fleet as we can, because there's some great products or equipment coming out that allows us to do that. So we want to take advantage of that. Not only for the environment is number one, but uh, but number two, um, I guess, is running costs for our business. It is significantly cheaper to run um, an electric material handler, r over time, et cetera. It, it really does pay it back. So that's, uh, that's a challenge, power supply. Um, staff shortages. I think everyone's talked about staff shortages recently. Um, you know we really need the government to be doing something to assist that it's it's not just for the fruit growers or or um or seasonal labor it's it's across the board um it's truck drivers it's material handler operators um people on the ground people in management we we are like everyone else always looking for for good people and, and seem to constantly have a have a shortage within our business um <sighs> I guess in our industry, there are, there are probably some other historic challenges. Um, working with commodity prices and exchange rates and some of the cyclical nature. Um, it's always a discussion point with um, with people in the steel industry that we're buying the steel off. You know, it's like our, our scrap price is going down, but the the new buy price is going up. Um and uh, you know that's it's it's a story that we hear fairly often, but ultimately that is a um that cyclical nature, uh, nature can be quite um, quite difficult to manage. We can see products some of our commodity prices drop in half over a few months, um, which is which is a significant impact on our business. so those are some of the things that we we've got to work to mitigate as much as possible.
1: Anything that you wanted to add there, Hilary?
0: Oh, I think it's obviously a very popular topic at the moment but um shipping <laughs> being an export business um it's challenging at the moment um we yeah just getting getting the right number of um ships available to move our stock efficiently obviously at the moment um there's considerable lags so we've got a, a very efficient export team within the business um do their best but you know a whole of New Zealand's feeling that I think we're feeling like we're all a bit at the bottom of the world at the moment a little bit forgotten um so certainly always challenges in that part of the industry um, that we have to be constantly over the top of
1: Hmm. yeah definitely big issue for steel as well uh Hilary your background is actually in architecture how does your work in metals recycling inform that side of your work and vice versa
0: Yes, it's been actually a a really interesting journey. I'm 25 plus years now, a commercial architect, but I've I've been working mostly in commercial, industrial and manufacturing. So being sitting and obviously in the sort of heavy industry type buildings. So the transfer, and and we work a lot with the Green Building Council doing sustainably designed buildings. So transferring into uh, the recycling world, um, has been obviously um, industry with shared values in that respect. So it's really interesting with, with the demolition space, you know, being much more firsthand involved in the demolition and seeing how we're sorting on site, what we're sorting, what's efficient, what's not. And I suppose the, the big ticket item I'm seeing is just, uh, you know, as an architect, we draw all our details um, in timber so, um, and as a waste stream on site for us, the tantalised timber is unacceptable but anywhere but a landfill because of its arsenic um, component. So the metal stud um, that we're finding and obviously some buildings we're demolishing is just so efficient because it allows us to recycle that waste stream whereas we can't of its timber. Um, so we're really interesting just reviewing what we're doing in the architecture space and how how we can, again, looking at, looking at that true life cycle of a building and then what happens at the end, everyone forgets about the end. And I think it's becoming such, such a prevalent topic as to how we can control that end more. Mm. So that's certainly, certainly my influence now is re-looking at how, certainly in, in my office, you know, how we can um, uh, do better.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a story um, around sustainability. The timber tells it very well in terms of the embodied carbon, but we don't really get a true picture of the total carbon emissions um, when we only look at that one stage of a building. Um, The demolition and what happens afterwards is also really important for a carbon story. There's... One more question I wanted to ask, which is, Metalman is also a fifty percent Maori-owned business. Can you tell us more about the importance of the Maori economy and how Metalman fits within it?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, my my heritage is Maori. My father's Maori. I'm a thirty second. So we've I've started really on the journey. Our family um, got separated young when um, uh, one of my grandparents died. So we've sort of. Started to re-establish our far now over time over the last few years, and so I've started to get more connected myself. In architecture, we uh, it's it's very ingrained in what we do uh, on our sites, uh, working with uh, local iwi and hapu uh, around cultural values, around sustainability. So, well woven within the construction and architecture industry, but not so much within. Uh, the metal recycling industry so we're looking to you know establish partnerships and and, and work along that journey really with the Maori economy because we we share values of um, preserving our environment here in New Zealand around sustainability and, and we're here to help and so it's as Alden mentioned earlier is how we can Work more with groups um, to help them realise some of those sustainability goals together. So certainly, using um, you know, working with my connections through my farm um, now, and obviously working with the connections we have within the construction industry, and and getting the right groups together to to knock heads really and see uh, see what we can do to promote uh, metal recycling better in the industry.
2: I think I think part of that journey is. Um... Is around the waterways and uh, and what we can do, that those are those are definitely very closely linked. Um, but the the Maori economy itself is something we're really at the very early stages of learning about. So I think um, I think in, in six months we'll have a lot more information to to pass on there.
1: Eldon, can you let us know how the steel scrap prices are actually set and how volatile these are?
2: Yeah, it's another another great question. It's certainly a um, it can be volatile, and since 2008, we've seen, um, I guess, a lot of choppiness in the market and a lot of a lot of ups and downs, um, more so than the previous 10 years. Um, it was a lot more static and maybe just on a gentle increase um, for the early 2000s um, through to 2007 and seven and eight. Um, so the prices that we work from are uh, set by international indices. Um, there's the LME, um, the text report. Uh, we watch steel prices in Turkey and, and other countries as well. They're all good indicators. Um, they don't always, the, the price of um, scrap metal in Japan doesn't necessarily um, connect directly with, um, with the prices that are achieved here in New Zealand, but it's a good indicator and a good starting point. Uh, and when we see movement in some of those prices and in those indices, we know that we're going to see the movement with our buyers throughout Asia because uh, they follow the same things. Um, but also uh, certain ports and certain, and at the moment, freight rates can have a really big impact on um, on some of the pricing. So using our export team to search out the best deals um, and the best ports to go to, uh, that's really important. Um The current uh, commodity prices in the steel and and non-ferrous industry are are quite a bit above the long-term averages Um, and what's driving that in our view is um, COVID has has certainly had a a big issue in that Um, or played a big part. It's uh, port disruption, uh, it's disrupted supply, um but also there' has been the other side the spring back as we've seen in the New Zealand economy um, you know demand's been high for certain products so um, so it's being driven by demand it's also being driven by infrastru- infrastructure projects around the world where people are stimulating their economies out the back end of COVID um, with big projects so that is having a um, having an effect as well and also China has, has entered back into the scrap steel market and is now buying externally, whereas they weren't previously or not so much. Um, so that all of those all of those pieces together have created um, more demand and more pressure on prices. So we are enjoying um, high high prices for um, for scrap at the moment. Uh, where it goes next? Because I say because as I've said, the the choppiness in the market since two thousand and eight, since the GFC, um, you know, we we're kind of always expecting the next drop that's around the corner and we just don't know when it's going to come. So, um, so that's, that's, I guess, my views. Um, the, uh, probably one other point that's really worth, um, that's a couple of other points that are worth noting. Um, you know, we do have a move towards EVs uh, and that is certainly affecting the copper prices. Um, and aluminium and lead, and some others that are off to the side of that. Uh, and there's really looking at that move. You know, we've got Jaguar coming out and saying after 2025, they're not building any more um, petrol powered cars or combustion engine cars. So, you know, th- there's some big plays going on that are going to see some of those metals remain at a high value for, I think, a long time to come because there's so much demand in those particular markets. Um, and then we've got countries China is one of them but others that are moving away from blast furnaces um, and moving to eAF electric arc furnaces um, that is going to support um, scrap steel for a long time to come and I guess it just depends how quickly that comes in um, but there's certainly investment being made and uh, conscious efforts by by some large players to do that so yeah it's it's maybe it's it's at the higher end rather than the lower end as we uh, as we move forward for a period of time anyway
1: yeah, there was a, a great report released maybe about two or three weeks ago that showed that increasing demand for steel net um, internationally but that the EAF component of that production would be increasing as a proportion and that was going to um, help reduce the carbon emissions per tonne of steel produced. So definitely the scrap market is going to be sustainable in the longer term.
2: Yes, yeah. I guess it's important to note the, the the scrap metal market has been around, you know, for thousands of years since we've been um you know, producing things made of metal, iron age, bronze age. Those products are hard to extract back then. Um, you know, it's a really old industry and uh and it's kind of an interesting one to be involved in as we've as you go on the journey for the I've gone on the journey for the last 15 years. Um, it does go back a long, a long, long way, the, the idea of recycling um, or recycling metals. So it's kind of interesting that we've come from the dark ages, if you like, or, or before, um, and we've come out to be an industry that certainly um, a, has a lot more interest than it's ever had. Uh, 15 years ago, it, was, it wasn't a very sexy industry. It's certainly getting a lot of airtime now which is it's kind of interesting to be on the
1: on the front end of that so there you go thanks for joining our conversation with eldon and hillary today if you'd like to connect more with them you'll find their details in the show notes food for thought till we see you next time so hit subscribe and if you like what you heard today please like review or share with any metalheads you know let's spread the word I'm excited to take people on a sometimes difficult journey to a future not yet achievable. To me, conversations like today are an important part of that as we need to challenge the way we see the world and how we live within it. As the Chief Executive from Philips said, like all major transitions in human history, the shift from a linear to a circular economy will be a tumultuous one. It will feature pioneers and naysayers, victories and setbacks. But if businesses, governments and consumers each do their part, the evolution of innovative business models and closed-loop concepts like manufacturing, refurbishing and parts harvesting will put the global economy on a path of sustainable growth. Many years from now, people will look back on it as a revolution. If you liked what you heard today, you may like to read here a steel recycling report or get involved with our sustainability initiatives more broadly. You can find more details in the show notes.